when we were talking about a tire, I thought about, geez, I'd hate to be a suit manufacturer right now. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to The Law in Black and White, a podcast featuring Jonathan Greenblatt and myself, Brian Parker. We're the two co-founders of Legal Innovators, an alternative legal service provider. We've been friends for over 25 years. We're both lawyers who have lots of opinions. On this podcast, we'll look at current events, the business of law, innovation, and diversity in the legal industry. Occasionally, we'll even talk about sports. As the name of our show suggests, we recognize that there may be aspects of the law that require our thinking to go beyond just the black and white of the law. We'll share what we know, what we've learned, and what we're still learning. In today's episode, we want to dive into what is on everybody's mind. What will the work environment look like post-COVID? We've now been in the trenches of COVID-19 for almost seven months. In those seven months, we've been forced to adopt new ways of working. Law firms, corporate legal departments, all organizations must reimagine their work environments in the changing role of office space, technology, and even attire in creating safe, productive, and enjoyable jobs and lives for employees. So what should firms or legal departments do post-COVID? How is this pandemic impacting how we reimagine these things? Let's dive in. Yeah, so one of the fun topics I think people talk about, John, when they when they think about remote work is uh, is dress. Uh, and I and I will tell our audience right now, on the first day of the uh, Supreme Court hearings, I am wearing a notorious uh, uh, Ruth Bader uh, Ginsburg T-shirt uh, and and hat and sweats, and I've been like this for most of the pandemic. Uh, so, with a little bit more seriousness, this this question of dress does this. Uh, allow people to be a little bit more relaxed? Are they more productive? So let's get into some of the stats. One in three workers that were uh, surveyed said they would forfeit uh, an extra 5000 in pay uh, if they could have a casual dress. Retailers we see are stocking more um, everyday items like T-shirts uh, and jeans uh, and sweats. If you look at some of the law firms, we see that there's been uh, a continuous move to what I would call at least a little bit more of a business casual type environment. Some old Wall Street firms still hold to, or at least they did before the uh, before the pandemic. Yeah, the question I think, John, uh, and maybe we can maybe we can start here, is uh, are we going to see? Um, well, sometimes people talk about a dumbing down of the percep- uh, the profession. Are we going to see a dressing down of the perception uh, of the profession? And lawyers always had this mythical look, right? You had wingtips and you had a uh, you had a suit and some sort of tie. Uh, the tie seems uh, uh, gone, but in this new environment, and assuming that we're going to be spending time, uh, though, I think we're going to get into this uh, a little later in the podcast, going back and forth between work. What's the what should be the balance here, uh, seeing that people well, seem to want to err towards being more casual? I, I was going to say, by the way, wingtips have also been going along with the tie for a while, Brian. I, <laughs> I still I still have wingtips. I like I, to break them out well, when I go to the white shoe law. Yeah, but you're, like you're, where we started. <laughs> your wingtips are sneaker wingtips, which is just a whole different thing. All um, right. Uh, look, I, you know, some of this is cyclical. 
um, you know, the dot-com boom. Uh, I can't even remember when the dot-com boom happened. But when the dot-com boom happened, there were almost two mindsets. And depending on which sector you were uh, affiliated with, you were either very casual, a la, you know, Stephen uh, Job at Apple wearing a black shirt and black pair of pants, um, uh, or or you were kind of resistant to that in the banking community and you were still wearing suits, ties, formal shoes, etc. For men and for women, they were dressed in, in professional attire. Um, that has been changing more and more and more even before COVID. We were, you know, in my old law firm, we had moved basically to casual, business casual every day, not jeans every day, but business casual every day, unless you were in a hearing, if you were a litigator or a closing or some setting in which the expectation was different. And that was ad hoc. Because if it was a closing in one industry, maybe even then, no, no men were wearing ties. And if it was a closing in a different industry, it may have been much more dressed down. And so I think this is, uh, this is uh, you know, the day of the tie, if you look at the way people have dressed historically, these things come and go. The day of the tie seems to be gone. I can only say that as I've gotten older, I've wanted to revert more and more to my eighth grade dress code. Um, and more comfortable that way. There are those out there who think that you become a much more credible um, or creative, really, thinker in even a legal environment to the extent you're dressed down and comfortable and casual. Uh, what do you think of that? I mean, I personally do think that it does, in some psychological way, free your mind. And you are more, maybe it breaks down hierarchy, hierarchies and accepted norms. I'm not quite sure, but I do feel I'm more creative and I cut through it quicker, um, not being in that formal environment. How do, how do you feel about that? You know, I, I don't know. I guess I'm, you know, of, of, of two minds. Um, I, I do think there is, when you go to too casual uh, an environment, I think you start to... Uh, you know, drop some of the, the, the norms of professionalism. So I think for me, I got to uh, divide it into half. So what are we doing when we're working remotely from home? And what is a casual attire, assuming that we're going back to the office? And so in the office, yeah, I, look, um, that's the way things have been trending. But I think even when you publicize and give examples, uh, there's still some people that may come with some wildly inappropriate things. So if you say, hey, well, we can wear sneakers now. You've got some people that are wearing flip-flops. And uh, if you can wear jeans, are, are jeans with holes in them okay? Uh, do people go to shorts? And, you know, so I, I think we all have our 18 or 21-year-old selves. And what I, what I wouldn't like to see um, is uh, a reversion all the way back to people that are wearing pajamas to classes and things like that. I, I, I know that's an extreme example. Uh, the other is I think about and we talk a lot about uh, about diversity, and as a diverse lawyer, um, I think that that sometimes there is already a struggle with uh, with credibility, and when you're dressed down, so looking less like the stereotypical lawyer, uh, does that do something uh, about credibility that people are already? Um, you know, sort of forced to uh, forced to wrestle with. So, look, I think it's a I think it's a balancing act. Um, I think there's some generational 
things there. And I think that we're going to have to, I think, strike a, a balance between being comfortable and being productive and maintaining a professional office, uh, including maybe the way we, and, and again, I don't want to uh, jump too much uh, ahead in the podcast, but the way we design space. So can we keep some more formal clothes or more business attire and have those uh, days that are like a Saturday in the office where people are a little bit more sloppy and, and, and creative. Uh, so what, what do you think about the, the generational gap? Uh, you know, cause you certainly have talked about being more comfortable and, and, you know, that sounds to me like a, a millennial. Yeah. I don't think it's so generational to be honest. Don't forget my generation was actually, um, quite rebellious when they were young. So uh, it's not as if uh, my, my generation has always been sort of buttoned up and, and wearing white shirts. Uh, we, we had to get used to it. Um, when is we this, adapted wood, to the is this Woodstock or what generation? This are is we the Woodstock generation. Okay, yeah, that yeah. was a little bit ahead of me, but yeah, basically, <laughs> I was heavily influenced by the Woodstock generation. Um, yeah. And and you probably noticed not that many people at Woodstock were wearing suits. In fact, uh, not right. that many were wearing clothes. Um, <laughs> so uh, you know, it's interesting that you say there are lines. When we went to uh, Casual Friday a long time ago. Um, this is do you do you remember painter's pants sure yeah mm-hmm. well painter's pants were a form of casual clothes when i was in high school <laughs> and they seem to have made a, a comeback in the 90s for reasons i can't understand but yeah, in any either. case it was an associate uh on casual friday who was wearing painter's pants and sneakers and i asked him are you painting your office today or are you working in your office today because clearly it, he was taking casual friday to uh, almost like uh, uh, not only an extreme, but he was trying to make a statement about the extreme, right. which I, I didn't quite understand why it was so important. I understood why people want to feel more relaxed, for sure. But I didn't understand why it had to be a statement that I can wear anything I want, no matter how ugly <laughs> and inappropriate it may be. Uh, so I do think it's a matter of balance. I don't know how generational. I mean, an awful lot of people of my generation seem to be as comfortable and as happy that we're moving away from a formal. Well, I mean, if you, you you participate in lots of zooms, people of my generation are no more dressed up than or than younger people on these zoom calls. They they seem to be feeling as liberated as everyone else's that they can only dress from the waist up. Yeah, I, I guess how does that you know how does that comport with uh, a client rich environment when you know say when we are back to to the office uh, at least for some time um, I think clients are are mostly limited out to you know the front and the conference rooms but uh, how do we think about balancing for if clients are around or or do clients care um, it, it seems some clients are ahead of us on this casual piece yeah I think as with so many things in the law you have to take your cue from your client. If your client expects you to be attired in a certain way and believes that goes with the arrangement between you and that's what they want to see for the money they're paying, I think we should be adapting. As so many other things, we we need to be doing what our clients want from us. Um, But as you say, if you were to ask a lot of corporate in-house lawyers, they're fairly casual a lot of times during the week. And I'm not sure... They really have an expectation that their outside lawyers won't be. Uh, 
And even there are times when I'm interviewing witnesses, for example, as a litigator, where I feel if I'm wearing a suit and they're casual, it actually creates a barrier between me and them. They see it as very formal. It's almost as if they've been called into the prosecutor's office or something when we're trying to develop trust. Um, So there's a lot of interesting dynamics about it. And I think you just have to take your cue from the different circumstances. Yeah, and and I think here here we depart, you know, somewhat, um, you know, oftentimes around the use of data. Um, But I do think that that we'll probably see the use of data and more surveys and and seeing where clients are and seeing how do we balance uh, where what what people feel comfortable in, as you said, creative. Which brings me to the thought: when we start thinking about the boxes uh, that we're in, uh, and let's assume that we're going to be back in these boxes at some point. I guess before we get to the space itself, how do we think about working remotely and and where should the balance of that be? Yeah, I've been a proponent of more working remotely. And we'll discuss, obviously, during the course of this, the right balance and what's lost by having too much emphasis on working remotely because there is something lost. But Hmm. I, I have been a proponent that Uh, You don't need to have people in close physical proximity uh, in the same office space as much as we have believed historically. Historically, Mm -hmm. we've believed essentially, I mean, when you go back to to when I was an associate, you know, you were always supposed to be in the office, even weekends. Now, these are the days before we had laptops. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the things that you can now do and have become understood to be doable Um, weren't doable then. So if you were going to work, you pretty much had to come to the office. These are days when we had libraries. And if you needed the library, you needed to be in the office or some library. Um, So a lot has changed over the days. But but I do think that um, there is a balance. Uh, Look, I think that we need to evaluate in each workspace, in each kind of culture and uh, the specifics of what you're trying to accomplish in work at work. How much do you need people to be in the same space? Because if you look at the statistics, for example, on this, uh, and these are just some, you know, $600 billion are supposedly wasted each year on workplace distractions. Um, mm-hmm. There's figures that show that national productivity would increase by Three hundred and thirty-four billion to four hundred and sixty-seven billion a year, if there was a substantial, substantially greater amount of telecommuting. Um, is a workplace distraction standing around a water cooler? Is it surfing the internet? What What are we? What are we um, talking about? I think it's all those things. I think it's the uh, people popping into your office to have. Mm. It's not just in the water cooler. Now, there's. We'll the talk drop about by. the drop by yeah. the um, schmoozing. <laughs> There's the candy machine. There's walking to Starbucks, um, um, you know, for a cup of coffee. There's, um, I think what I've been able to free myself of more and more is just traditional admin paperwork. Now, you still have to do it, but it seems as if it doesn't interfere quite as often, quite as much during the week. People are reporting. Now, we should, we need to note, of course, Brian, that we're talking about people who have the luxury of working remotely. Not everybody does have the luxury of working remotely. And this whole conversation that we're having about attire, um, working remotely, it's for people who don't have to be 
on the front lines, if you will. Right. But we're, we're centering our conversation. About law firms. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and corporate legal departments, because I think we're going to contrast right. here a little bit. Right. And, the, and so when you get to those where we have the luxury of doing it, then the question is, how much should we do it, right? <laughs> and certainly, if you look at the statistics, I'm not going to go through them all. Mm-hmm. Um, people are reporting, at least employees are reporting, that they very much, by and large, like to telecommute and like to have remote working at least as a major feature in their life. They feel it frees them up. They're more productive. They feel liberated from a routine, um, uh, all sorts of things that go with that. They, there's, there's statistics that show that you reduce greenhouse gas emissions substantially by sure. cutting down on commuting. Um, but I guess the, the other side of that, or at least where, where I've seen data, maybe inconclusive, is that uh, the, the employees are, are reporting that they're more productive, but uh, do the employers uh, agree with that? Yeah, so I think it really depends on um, who you talk to, and I don't think the data's all in. I, I was having mm-hmm. a conversation at with the that. beginning of COVID um, f- with a senior partner at a, at a big law firm who was saying, you know, by and large, the work is getting done remotely, but he felt there was a tail off of what, um, you know, the productivity levels he was used to when you're down the hall from someone. And also, it really does put a lot of pressure on young lawyers to be self-starters to a greater extent than they may have had to be before. Because, uh, you know, there is something to the fact that when someone senior to you wanders by your office and checks in, Mm -hmm. that that, um, does you know, keep the pressure on. Maybe that's not positive pressure all the time, but it's right. it's a form of pressure. Um, yeah. And this is without even getting to the mentoring and other opportunities that may be lost. Well, and and is I was just going to say to the senior point, the mentoring. I, I know we'll come back to in a second, but isn't some of that perception like back? At, you were talking about. I don't want to say back in the day, but back in the day. Well, you had to come in. And so if it, it, there's still this lingering perception in some people's minds, well, if I don't see you, you must not be doing anything. And, and here I think we see a separation of law firms and corporations, because certainly when I've worked in corporations, you got metrics, you're, you're performing against those. And at the end of the week or whatever the marking period is, you've either done or you haven't done it. Uh, and so I you know, really don't care where you are as long as you're doing your work. But that seems changing, but still a little bit different with law firms. You agree? Yeah, I think mm, I think partners are slow to change. But in fact, there's lots of ways to measure productivity. The most gross way is how many hours someone's billing. But certainly, mm-hmm. even if you think that's not a very good metric, there's the um, what's their output? Are they getting sure. their assignments due on time, and is the pro- is the quality good? If it is, then you can measure that. You you know whether you're getting a good work product from someone, um, whether they're working remotely. And you know, you and I have talked about this a lot. My my practice is international, and right. I rarely have people working in the same office space with me, let alone time zone. So we work it out. You, you know, there are. This is where I think the balance will need to be. There are times when it's important to be together, 
Right. Um, and I mean, important for the matter, putting aside important yeah. for a career development, important for the matter to be together. Um, and there are times when it really doesn't matter where anyone is. When I'm traveling around the globe and I've given someone an assignment, mm-hmm. I don't really know where they are and I don't really care where they are when they do their assignment. I care mm-hmm. that they're on track. I care that we're having a conversation if there are important inflection points that need to be discussed. I like to check in. But we don't need to be in the same space down the hall from one another. And, you know, we've, we've kidded about – when we were talking about a tire, I thought about, geez, I'd hate to be a suit manufacturer right now. When we're talking about office space. I wonder what, you know, commercial office real estate landlords are wondering right now about what will happen to office space. Um, now, maybe other people will t- pick it up. But, but so many law firms and um, – banks and financial institutions are thinking about reducing their work, their their footprint. You have to wonder what's going to happen to all that space when it comes, when it goes offline or whatever you want to say, you know, comes online if you're the buyer. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I wanted to kind of tease out too was, um, and I think it's come into focus uh, both for law firms and corporations, and that's this role of mental health. So when you talk about remote work, um, there's the thought, well, like I'm cutting down on that aggravating commute, right? I got as much as two or three hours back. I feel, uh, I feel, I feel better. Um, and Megan, our producer just gave us a note, uh, that, that was saying, okay, well now you're at home. Um, you're doing everything in this one box. You're sleeping there, you're working, you're eating, you're exercising. I mean, and maybe some of this will change after, after COVID, but you brought up some good things like, uh, sitting around and teasing out a, a legal issue or walking down the street to a Starbucks and you're not breaking that up. We've got a new segment at the end of our show here uh, on pet peeves and 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 uh, working at home uh, and the stress is going to be one of mine. But how do you how do you balance that uh, when we when we think about uh, the mental health benefits? And we know lawyers as a profession, not the only one, but as as one profession with a high amount of stress. Um, should we recognize the, the the benefits of maybe a split in saving some of that uh, some of that commute? No, I think we have to suck it up. No, I'm kidding. I- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. We sucked it up for too long, and people people uh, find unhealthy ways to deal with the it. Traditional so. traditional senior partner approach: suck it up. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think there is a greater recognition that it, you know productivity is influenced by happiness. Um, by health, by all sorts of health, physical and mental health. Um, I, I have two people in my family who are therapists, and there are more and more people reaching out for therapists right now by Zoom or whatever medium they use, in part because um, they're stressed and in part because it's actually easier for them sometimes, depending on the subject matter, it's easier for them to have a conversation by telemed than it is to sometimes have to travel to an appointment and, and, you know, take more time out of their day. So, but law firms have traditionally been, I remember this was told to me when I was a young lawyer and they said it was the Marine Corps for your brain. Um, (laughs) And that's what someone told me, but I actually think it's, it's worse than that. It's, it's got a Marine Corps mentality sort of, which I'm not, I mean, for the Marine Corps, it's a great mentality. But we and a lot of partners feel, you know, I went through it, you go through it. 
um, right. and we we managed to to uh, muddle our way through. So soft skills, soft issues aren't important. They obviously are, and uh, and COVID's accentuating that. Right. I think that. Uh, what'll be interesting to see a lot of people are talking about what's going to happen to commercial real estate if we do go to more telecommuting i think it'll be interesting to see what happens to residential real estate because hmm. people will probably want to arrange their homes to the extent they have the means to do so in a way where they'll have they'll be able to create a separation between their workspace and their play space if you will and they'll want to equip themselves with the kinds of things that make working from home easy, <laughs> easier, but, but they will also not want to have that spill over. I mean, how many um, young people have you seen who are doing a Zoom from their one-bedroom apartment? Yeah. Uh, a lot. <laughs> right. And, and you know, I, uh, that goes to uh, if we're balancing out, let's say, in a post-COVID environment, um, some degree of working from home and working from the office. Uh, and, and, you know, people have the space that they have. Um, but I don't know if you're on with a client, say, that it's the best uh, appearance to have something, uh, a bed in the back. And maybe you have to go to those virtual screens and things like that. But, you know, seeing people's laundry and, and other things, right? We're, we're uh, you know, we're, we're, we're plugging through because of COVID. Let me ask, um, practically, um, with where we are right now, right? Um, we, you, you talked about Zoom. Uh, tech is ubiquitous. It's uh, getting better. We've got printers. We've got all-in-one scanners, all of these things. Is there really any difference practically between uh, working from home and working uh, from, from the office? You know, to a lesser extent than I think people thought. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure there is the same degree of uh, difference that people thought. There's certainly a loss of interpersonal connection. You know, when you have to schedule a Zoom to uh, have a conversation, uh, that's a little more stilted than poking your head into somebody's office and saying, when you get off the phone, just give me a buzz. Um, uh, so, and I do think that mentoring, which is obviously very important, is going to be more difficult to do remotely. Um, you know, we, we've talked about how mentoring is a lost art to some extent yeah. in the legal profession anyway, but it doesn't make it easier when people are remote. Uh, and you do lose something from that. And, um, and I think that when you look at the data, you see that, that the people who are working remotely, while they like the freedom, they miss the interpersonal communication. And, and you know, there's a lot of people trying to do things socially, social cocktail parties, games, mm -hmm. um, uh, wine tasting things, beer tasting. We did one that was a beer and cheese tasting thing. It was mm -hmm. really interesting and fun. Um, so you can you can overcome it, but it's not the same as is human interaction, you know, direct human interaction. And you hear this from the clergy and everyone else that that's dealing with this. Yeah, I, I think I'd buy your 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 argument more on the culture, but less on the mentoring, right? Because if you're if you're telling me that my associates, me, your associates on your international uh, matters are in Turkey and Paris and London and wherever they may be, right? They're they're spread out. Um I assume you're mentoring them, right? You're doing Zoom and you're doing other things. Certainly, maybe it's a little bit better. But uh, you hit on an important thing, and and when we when we think about going to 
let's just say we're going to go to a split, some sort of split, and some people will go to a split. How do you maintain that culture? Because I'll tell you, as is remembering back as a as a as a young associate, just going out to the bars right after, or um, uh, standing around talking and um, in M and A, um, and which was a a, a bigger a subset of the overall brand of Sherman. But when you talk about, you know, the Marines, right? Like these were some sort of special forces and you felt like uh, a well, camaraderie. So, so, of, so you all thought. Right. Uh, being there until two or three, right? I mean, so you you lose a little bit on the, on the culture side. And I got to think uh, culture is a part of what keeps us together. And certainly they're going to, you talk about the role of mental health professionals and they're going to be people that can help us uh, think that through. But that's a real worry for me. I think about, um, am I losing and are future generations of workers losing that culture that kind of binds us together? I think it's a really good point. And, um, you know, one of the things that's happened in the legal profession is that it's gone to a more transactional um, environment as it is. You see young people coming, paying back loans, leaving, not really feeling at least a long-term attachment to a place. Uh, this is these are all generalities. I don't mean right. uh, no one. I mean in greater numbers. Um, it's gone and down. It's gone down, and I think rem- it, this is an unfortunate byproduct of more remote working. Is that will be more transactional. People will yeah. simply expect you to know how to do the work, do the work, um, turn it in. If it's good, great. Uh, if not, then you may fall off the track. So it's. It is a worry, and every law firm, every institution has its own culture. Um, so how do you differentiate a culture when you're not together? That is really a challenge that I don't have the answer to, actually. Yeah, I, I might give a couple of examples, and I think maybe we think about taking some of the lessons from – we're, we're corporate people now because we have a startup company, and, and I say uh, we take some lessons from corporate America, and, and I remember um, – being at uh, being at Davida, one of the one of the things that I still take away from there is how purposeful the leaders were about creating culture. Um, and this was in a very distributed workforce, right? I probably had two hundred people on my team, and they were all over the country, uh, and to some extent uh, internationally. But we had a nationwide event where a certain number of people got together. I got the team together uh, once a year. Sub teams got together. So I think. Um, for the culture point, in my opinion, we got to be purposeful. What are we trying to keep together? Um, we don't eliminate where we can um, all together, physical in person. We may be doing our work uh, in other places, but getting together and mixing uh, at least what we did. It's um, I want to reestablish what the mission of the company is, what the values, because these are the ties that hold us together. I want to do some fun stuff because uh, if I know the person next to me, I can cut them a little bit more slack. I trust them a little bit. And when we're together, I think we can go about the intentional work of how do we improve? What was last year? What are the lessons that we learned and how do we get how do we get better? And I think sometimes stepping back, stepping away from I, I guess our typical office buildings in that case, but being together um, are, are just a few examples of the things that uh, that I think we can do. And, and, and I know law firms do that uh, somewhat, but I think they can probably be a little bit more purposeful as they try to uh, evolve themselves to looking more like businesses and therefore I think better serving 
uh, their clients. Yeah, I mean the things that you just talked about, of course, are not possible during COVID. So yeah, that's um, right. You this, know, the, these are those these are post-COVID things. Yes, those are things that you can do to because you said in every instance that you used an example, it was getting together personally. No, that's right. Uh, um, but no. post-COVID, of course, you have to get if we maintain oh, a more right. remote workforce, we're going to have to supplement. There'll be should right. be room in the budget for that for everyone because they're going to be cutting down on travel and other things. That's so, right. so yeah. Uh, but to, to your point, though, John, and I wouldn't like to, and, and thanks for clarifying, because of course we're we're keeping safe and and doing maintaining our distance and those things. But we should take forward the lessons of COVID and 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 some of the virtual events, um, not to re, to your point, uh, to replace the physical ones once we can be around each other. But having virtual get-togethers is probably not a bad idea. No, I, I I've actually, I mean, we do. I'm sure you do too. We do Zoom cocktails with friends we haven't seen for a <laughs> while and um you know is it as good as having them over and flipping something on the grill no sure but is it a pretty good substitute that we can all have a drink and toast one another and have a nice conversation about family etc it's a pretty good substitute mm-hmm. um it certainly feels like you're maintaining contact at some level um so we're gonna have to adjust um but but there'll be the COVID period of adjustment. There'll be the post-COVID, hopefully, period of, of adjustment. And post-COVID, I think it's going to be as much an economically based um, decision as anything else. Uh, economic and, and workforce um, satisfaction. Yeah. Let, let's, let's go to maybe our last, uh, last subject before, before our pet peeves and talk about the the, the physical boxes, all right? Yeah. So when you were first, you know, made a partner, I think, you know, back in the 50s or 60s or whenever you, uh, you know, first got elected. Um, you, right, right. Uh, you had a you, you had an office. Uh, it was probably a, a little bit bigger than the one maybe where you where you finally left. It was huge. It you, was the size yeah, you had, of a you had a couch and, and, and you had yeah. a, a assistant. You've seen a, you've already seen even before COVID, um, there, there was a, I guess a slimming down of the accoutrements that were available to people. Uh, corporate America got there a long time ago and, and followed those tech plans where more and more people are sitting open. But what do you see um, as we continue to evolve and especially in a, a post-COVID environment? What 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 might the physical spaces uh, look like? So we were already, first of all, clients have been pushing back at having this those rates. Uh, huge cost of office space that they pay for. Um, And so you see much less elaborate uh, waiting areas. Law firms, law firm partners used to have big offices on the theory that they would have clients come to those offices and meet with them and that that would create a particular aura, you know, sort of, and actually be functional in some ways because you'd sure. call, you'd call one or two associates in, you'd sit around, you'd talk about a matter with a client. The client, the clients drove that out and basically said, we don't need to sit in some French furniture, you know, Louis the Fourteenth type office that I'm paying for. Right. Uh, and so you see nicer conference centers being developed, c- common space areas for clients, and they don't right. go behind the walls. Mm-hmm. Not to mention that confidentiality and other things are greater and greater cons- data protection. All yeah. those things drive it so that you really don't want visitors behind, you know, behind the walls into the office space very much. Um, so that was already changing, and uh, and 
you saw smaller offices for partners, more uniform offices for associates and partners. Uh, glass was coming in because it broke down barriers to have <laughs> glass and so you could see people. And believe me, I, it made a difference because I went from one more traditional office space to a to the kind I'm just describing. Right. And I waved to people personally that I hadn't seen for a long time five times a day as right. they went by. You made eye contact. You nodded at them. They might even have made a signal like you want to grab lunch or grab a cup of coffee and you gave them a thumbs up. That was a form of interaction that had been lost. So I became a proponent of that kind of workspace. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, furniture became very standardized. It looked like furniture you would get at uh, an airport lounge, you know, <laughs> rather than uh, your own personal furniture. And there was a lot of grumbling about that. But so many things have changed that I think that was just another thing that had to go. Uh, personally, I think we'll end up more in a hotel type space, meaning people, there may be a place that you are assigned to on a permanent basis for a period of time. Um, uh, but then other people will rotate space and it'll be more like visitor's office space or hotel space. And because it's plug and play, it's, you know, it used to be you had all your files and all your stuff on paper and you really needed to be in a space, but, but so much is electronic now and younger people are so much more comfortable working with electronic data. Mm -hmm. They don't need a huge file space to have associated with them all the time. They may for special purposes for a particular case or a particular assignment. Right. But couldn't we just innovate and store that in secure areas? Right. I mean, why are we, why have we been so far behind corporations, right? You might see the GC in a, in a really small office of a big company and in his or her people uh, sitting in, in cubicles out in, out in the open, right? Yeah, Why? I actually haven't seen GCs in very small offices in my experience. Well, but. <laughs> I, I, I think if you look at the, if you look at the data, um, corporations are, are downsizing yeah. to save, yeah. to, to save space. It's and coming seeing, for law firms as well, right? right? It's coming. And, and we're seeing 74, and, and maybe you just pick up on this, this last stat. So we, where is it coming for the law firms? How are they going to pick it up? And if we're seeing uh, as many as seventy-four percent of the corporations saying, "Hey, you can work you can work from home permanently," what's that going to look like for law firms? What do you expect the split to be? Oh, I don't think. First of all, I don't think it'll be permanent in the sense of you never have to come into the office once there's no COVID. I think that there will be some requirement that you be in the office a certain percentage of the time for all the reasons we discussed the, the mentoring opportunities the training opportunities the the personal interaction but i think yeah. it'll shift so i think we'll end up with visiting office space for lots of people where you'll on your days in the office you'll reserve the space and it won't matter whether it was the same office you had last time because no. for example Again, because my practice was so international and Sherman had so many international offices, I I would park myself with my laptop, get my IT person to hook me into a local computer. And this was all over the world, in Asia, Europe. I think I had been literally in every office the firm had at one point or another working on matters. And you get in your zone. There's a Really, all I needed was the phone. The, the, my laptop to be plugged into the network and a printer. 
and it didn't matter where I was. And my clients didn't know where I was when I was calling them. So yeah. I, I, I think it's inevitably going to change. Yeah, I, I guess my my thought is as as we try to as we try to close this this section out is that I do think that the footprints get smaller. Um, I think that corporations are uh, as usual going to go, um, you know, much ahead, uh, and because of the project based work of of lawyers and law firms, um, the the split will probably be I don't know maybe it's maybe it's more like fifty fifty or sixty in the office 40, 40 out. But the other innovation, you know, we should talk about innovation since that's a part of our business. One of the things that that I did, a slightly different context, but I think it'll start to play here, is at uh, DeVita, well, we were in the, the, the business of providing kidney care um, at dialysis centers. And so we took almost a consulting-like approach and took uh, opinions from teammates, doctors, architects, construction people, just every person that would um, touch that box. And I think we're going to have to, we're going to do the same in corporate, though they're a little bit ahead of us and in law, take almost a consulting like approach and get down to the bare basics. What do you need and how do you make, um, you, you talked about multi, uh, uh function space. I think we're going to start to see some of that, um, in, in, um, innovations in how people imagine space. One thing, um, that, that I think I'd be remiss if I, if, if I didn't talk about, because we talk about uh, this world of diversity and inclusion, and I know um, lots of people like to think that is a color, and certainly that's a part of it, um, but I think part of it also is a democratization of our profession. And I think that um, for me, um, because uh, if we look at the disabled population, uh, oftentimes they have their houses already set up um, to where it works for them. And so if we have more working from home, I think we can welcome more members of that population in. And then, and not that this second one is, is without, uh, I guess, uh, a need for further thought, but parents. Um, and so if we can be flexible, I think that we bring um, a number of people who are very smart and very experienced uh, back into uh, back into the the profession. Um, before we go to our 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 pet peeves, um, I I will just note for our audience we'll we'll probably come back in a future um, in a future one of these and talk a lot more on tech. Um, I'll flag um, one of the things that I'm concerned about, and John, maybe maybe you have your own, um, is that we pay strict attention to security. Uh, we're seeing a multi-hundreds percent rise in uh, force hacking attempts, uh, email scams, phishing. And so these uh, can multiply uh, when you're in uh, distributed environments and we'll solve them. We've got very smart tech people, um, but this is something that um, I, as a former client, think about. I'm assume you know our clients will have their have their eyes on, um, and and it's something you know as lawyers you you've got to you know really think about the integrity of the data and the documents and that. Uh, so as we think about this both changing environment post COVID and and the split of working from home, security really is something that uh, um, that would keep me up at night. Yeah, and I was going to go back for a second, Brian, because you know uh, pre COVID. There was a lot of plan. It'd be interesting to talk to some uh, law firm architects. But what do you think? Pre-COVID, um, there was a big push to create the space of the future for law firms, which was, in essence, based on the fact that we spend so much time in the office and so much mm -hmm. time together that mm -hmm. we need to make it more multi-purpose, 
have more relaxation space, uh, entertainment space, et cetera, which actually holds you into the office longer. Um, If we start putting movie theaters in the office and other things, you know, you never leave. chairs and all Uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But but I guess, and that's an extreme example, but but what do you think COVID's going to do to that? Are we going to end up rethinking that entirely instead of having a model that says, let's make the office space adaptable to more hours in the day? Are we going to say, let's make the office space adaptable to less hours in the day and figure out how you can work remotely for more hours in the day? I do. I think that's what I was uh, what I was trying to get out with the innovation. Um, I think that COVID is is taught us if we just go from the attitude. Um, there was a uh, an attitude, especially on the law firm side. Again, less on the corporate side, that you had to be in the office. I think we we it was forced in almost a violent way because we had to um, to keep people from getting sick. Um, be remote. I think people have seen we can be remote. People can be highly productive um, post COVID. Do you go 100%, especially in the law firm environment? Probably no. My guess is that we're going to take those plans that they had about the, the law firm environment of the future. We're going to learn the lessons from COVID. We're going to take a, a bunch of data surveys, including employee happiness and mental health, productivity, what do clients want? And then we've got to devise the space for what is the world going to look like? And I think it's a slimmed down world. I think it's a world where people are doing, even on the law firm side, doing somewhat of a split and how do you make that um, how do you make spaces more functional um, how do you accommodate more hoteling as you're talking about and certainly having um, having some of those uh, relaxation um, uh, spaces is good we have to account for the things that lawyers have to account for and so we think about security and security of documents so you have to think about centralized spaces but to your point, more things are, are, are online and that sort of thing. But I, I do think we're going to, not all the way back to the drawing board, um, but I think that there's going to be a, a great role for innovation and people are already hard at work at it. So John, as we change and we've introducing a new segment and our, uh, our listeners can uh, chime in with their own pet peeves, what's bugging you this week? This, this reminds me of that Seinfeld, uh, um, you know, about the, uh, Festivus, right? <laughs> You're right? I got a problem with you people. Anyway, what's well, you saw you? every episode of Seinfeld. I actually, <laughs> I think was, I did. I've seen I, it multiple times. <laughs> I was billing multiple thousands of hours a year when Seinfeld yeah, was on. Yeah, yeah. I missed a lot of episodes, um, uh, 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 but that, I do love that's, it. That's why they have them on replay. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I know, we, but, let's get uh, to your pet peeve. <laughs> <laughs> One of my pet peeves is quoting Seinfeld all the time. Um, uh, no, I'm adding to mine as you speak. Please. <laughs> No, I, I, I'm assuming, by the way, this segment has can be outside the law because yeah. uh, just a well. pet peeve in life generally, living in today's <laughs> environment. So, and this is a COVID-specific one, which is why do the streaming companies require you to make a decision on whether you're continuing to the next episode in one and a half seconds? My brain <laughs> cannot process that. And I can't find the exit button. And the next thing you know, you're at the beginning of the next episode. You're either hooked into it or you know something you didn't want to know that night. Um, and, right. and then it gets locked in where if you just shut it off, which is my panic move, just shut it off. It's playing three episodes. So yeah. when you go to catch up. You got to figure out where you were. You can't figure out where you were. This has to change. 
That's a good one. Uh, I've, I've, uh, at yours and, and your lovely wife's urging, have just started watching uh, Game of Thrones. And so since that's on HBO, it doesn't just, it, it gives you, there's a lot of time. Um, I have two pet peeves this week. Um, one we've talked about on the mental health side. Uh, there is a, I think, a stress uh, that I often see and I often feel, and I see it in my, in my friends, Going back to this, we're in this box the whole time, right? I wake up, um, stop and take a shower. I come out, I eat breakfast, probably at the same table I'm going to work at. Uh, Then I go up to my loft, I ride the Peloton, I come back, I work some more, watch a little TV, go to bed. And so the the pet peeve is, uh, and and I probably own part of the solution, is getting out of our own way um, and and maybe sharing with each other some best practices, or maybe it's an alarm system to make ourselves go outside and go to that Starbucks or walk around the block, which I don't do often enough. Um, my other pet peeve, and it won't surprise you, John, uh, and probably won't surprise our listeners as they get to know me more, uh, is a sports one. Uh, I am uh, overly sick, and congratulations to the, to the Lakers on winning their 17th title. Um, but in no universe, at no time, and I don't care what LeBron does for the rest of his career, will he be as great as Michael uh, Jordan. So the GOAT debate has been established. It's over. I don't want to see any more stats. I'm tired of people talking about it. He's a great player. He's probably one of the greatest of his era, but he does not measure up to Michael Jordan, and I've had it up to here with the comparison. Okay, well, that's that, it. <laughs> you're entitled to have that view. It's wrong, yeah, that's, but you're that's entitled right. to have it's that my, view. It's my pet peeve. <laughs> and you can tell it's a strong one. <laughs> I think it's a legitimate debate, personally. Well, but, yeah, uh, that wasn't meant to get you in, into the conversation. That's my pet peeve. Anyway. I was just glad that you didn't share that, uh, that not only do you shower and have breakfast, but that you actually have breakfast in the shower. I <laughs> that's right. happy that's, that you stay, kept that to yourself. I won't bring up that that's another Seinfeld episode, but for the next episode. <laughs> you got to multitask. <laughs> Did we give, uh, should we give Megan a pet peeve? <laughs> we should let her chime in. <laughs> we would be her pet peeves. I don't want to hear it. That's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Brian and I thank you for listening to The Law in Black and White. We hope you've enjoyed it. You can find us at legal-innovators.com for even more insights. You can also subscribe to our podcast to buy monthly conversations and follow Legal Innovators on social media to see what we're up to. We look forward to talking to you next time and be safe in the meantime.